What's going on, everyone? Welcome to Daphnix, episode two of the new season. Alongside me today, as always, is producer Parker. Hello. And we have uh, Nick here as well. Hello. How's everyone doing? All right. Thanks for coming on, Nick. Mm-hmm. No problem. So just a very quick update for the next three shows or so. We'll be celebrating the decade of hockey and what has been and what's to come. So after the holiday break, we'll be back with the regular scheduled Daft Picks podcast. But for the next three shows, please enjoy what we have for you. And today, we're going to be talking about the players of the decade, or at least our team of the decade, as well as some good and albatross contracts. One thing we'd change about the NHL today, and a couple other things towards the end of the show. But we'll start with the team of the decade. So this is a pretty difficult decision for all of us, I think, right? Mm-hmm. So... I guess we'll go round table. We'll start forward, defense, goalie. Makes a little bit more sense than going one at a time. So, Parker, why don't you lead us off with your offense? All right, so for offense, I have left wing Alexander Ovechkin, center Cindy Crosby, and then right wing Patrick Kane. So how did you come up with those picks? Well, I just did it by position, and I sort of set up my team differently than I'm assuming what uh, you guys did. The criteria for my team I did as playing for the entirety of the decade from 2010 to 2019. So if you only played from like 2014 to now, or like if you played in 2010 and stopped in 2015, you weren't eligible for my list. So my list is just players that have played the whole decade. Okay, that's, that's fair, that's fair. Um, Nick, do you want to go next? Sure. I had the same line as Parker. I won't repeat it because it's traitorous to repeat that. But um, I didn't necessarily use the same rules as Parker in the sense of doing like you have to play from 2010 to 2020 to be like considered on my team because I definitely think like even if you just played in the first half of the decade or the second half of the decade doesn't necessarily mean you can't make a mark on the decade. The three players that we chose obviously a veteran Kane and the other guy are wow mm-hmm, are obvious are obviously like they all played the whole decade but they all really did perform and make a mark. But there's at least one person on my team that didn't play, that I know didn't play the whole decade. But I definitely think he's done just so much already that I put him on there. But he's in my sub subgroup, so we'll get him later. But for my offensive line, I pretty much copied Parker. Okay. Um, so I'll preface it with this as well. My team was a little bit more relaxed. I made a rule that as long as they played for at least half of the decade, they can make my team. So... I copycatted as well. I have Kane, Crosby, Ovechkin as my forward lineup. I don't. So, really so I think that kind of tells you just how prolific these players have been this decade. Right. Well, <laughs> they all have one thing in common, at very least, and that's that they've all won at least one cup. And I mean, these are guys that were either Conn Smythe winners or MVPs. They have a lot of hardware. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I won't drag it on any further. We'll go to Parker again for your defense. Who do you have on D? All right. For defense, I have Drew Doughty and Eric Carlson. Ooh. Okay. Um, I think we're forgetting just how dominant Drew Doughty was in the early 2000s when the Kings won those two Stanley Cups. There was a case to be made for him being the best defenseman in the league. Now, Eric Carlson, while he has been slowed a little bit by injury this year, again, he is the best offensive defenseman in this generation, I think, and arguably probably the best defenseman in this generation. I don't think that can be argued. I mean, those are all very fair points. Um, Nick, we'll shoot over to you. Yeah, I also had... Eric Carlson on defense, I think we can, at least both of us can agree that he was definitely one of the biggest players, if not one of the best defensemen of the decade. 
but I actually went with Duncan Keith for my second defensive pick. I mean, he does have a good bit of hardware. Um, he has one more Norris trophy on Drew Doughty. Um, and I definitely think like his time with the Blackhawks and everything, like I just think that he was a little bit better than Doughty. I think, A, his hardware especially does kind of go to show that, um, even though there were like two cups for the Kings. I know the Blackhawks got at least three cups. I wasn't sure if Keith was on it for all three. Definitely means he matches, if not beats, Dowdy on both cups yeah. and Norris Trophy. So to me, that's... He actually got, I remember he got playoff MVP for yeah. the, uh, the mm-hmm. last year they won it. Yeah, so, so to me, I think Keith... was like age 32, 33. So it's like that's incredibly impressive for someone of his age. Yeah, I definitely think his his time is up. He's not going to be... If, he's, if he is still playing, I think he is still playing. So his time's almost up. But I definitely think as far as the de- this decade goes, he was one of, if not the best defenseman. Okay. Actually, I had the same picks. I had Carlson and Keith. And I'll justify Duncan Keith a little bit more, too. Mm-hmm. Duncan Keith, on top of having all that hardware, you can make an argument for Doughty that he did deserve a Norris. He didn't deserve it the year he won it, though. And that was a pretty much a given point that he wasn't the best defenseman that year. But he got his Leonardo DiCaprio moment. Not to rail on Doughty. Duncan Keith, however... Even right now, he's still on pace for a good amount of points. I think he's on pace for 40 points, which is still great for a defenseman. <coughs> and his contract <laughs> is good. It's not one that's likely to hurt the Blackhawks longer term. And Eric Carlson is, even still today, even injured, even a little bit older now, is still an incredible defenseman. So it's pretty simple for me. Um, of course, we're going to go back around Parker, your goaltending. So um, we, we did a little thing where we had a starter, but we also allowed a backup per se, so if you want to give both, go for it. All right, so my starter, I have Carey Price, and my backup is Henrik Lundqvist. I will never forget that year where Carey Price won essentially all the hardware at the uh, NHL Awards show, and I think that just kind of goes just how there was really a point where Carey Price was the best player on his team by a mile, <laughs> despite his team being garbage and him being able to put up the, the statistics that he's done. And Henrik Lundqvist, uh, besides like the past two years, I mean, was a playoff monster. Uh, before he faced the Lightning in the 2015 East Conference Finals, this is a guy who never lost a Game 7. He would also be very good in the regular season as well. So those are kind of, those have to be my top two goaltenders. All right, those are mm-hmm. good picks. My starter was Henrik Lundqvist, and my backup was Sergei Bobrovsky. Ooh. Both of which have won quite a few Vezinas. So Lundqvist has four of the top 15 goals scored above average seasons of the last decade. Bobrovsky also has two of the top three seasons. So Bobrovsky's definitely another goalie that has done quite a good bit of work and been fairly consistent throughout the decade in turning out good work. His team has not really, his team never really backed him up part of the reason that he's now in Florida instead of staying in Columbus. And then Parasi is also like the center of the great story. He's the goalie that got away for the Flyers. So I definitely think that Parasi is definitely a good backup to Lundqvist. And I think even then, like the Rangers have their ups and downs, but Lundqvist has always been that brick wall for them in the back for the whole decade. So I definitely think he's someone that you can put in as a solid goaltender for any team. 
I, I really did like the point about Bobrovsky. Mm -hmm. I, I considered him strongly. For my picks, I went with my backup was Carrier Price. <laughs> but out of the three of us, I was the only one to pick a goalie who actually won a Stanley Cup. Uh, he actually has three of them, and that would be Marc-Andre Fleury. And I don't think you can dispute the fact that he was one of the best goalies of the decade. Well, yeah, but a lot of the Penguin, like the two back-to-backs for the Penguins was more on the back of Matt Murray than it was on the back of Flurry. So Flurry's on the team, Flurry gets the ring, but... Well, well you got to remember, there was a mm -hmm. point in one of those runs where I believe Murray got injured, and then Flurry... Mm -hmm. Yeah, Flurry, went, Flurry came in Flurry and... Flurry went like undefeated or something like that when he came in for the mm -hmm. six games so he, or whatever he played. Here's the thing a lot of people forget, is that there was the run, which was the second run, that... Um, Murray was hurt, and Fleury came in to spur him uh, the year that he got picked in the expansion draft. The year before that, people forget that Fleury was the starting goalie the majority of the season, and that there was only a goalie controversy when Murray played well. So that's why I say, even though, yes, technically Murray was the star of that first run, Fleury got them there just as much mm -hmm. as he did. And the, I consider the decade... 09-10 season, which was also Flurry's last cup win. He mm -hmm. won that summer. So that's why I lumped him in there. Three cups mm -hmm. in the decade. He's not. Um, I know I'm really... They, oh. they, the Penguins Cup was in was 2009. So, so, I, I, so I that's know. not really in... That's really kind of outside... The it's like it's like the six month rule. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like moving the goalposts a little bit. Uh, but even if we don't count that one, he still got the hard. I wouldn't count that one, but I after. yeah. And Flurry's a great goalie, but he's one of those peop one of those players that I would say is a victim of the mid years. Yes, like his prime started in the mid of the two thousands, and then I feel like he started getting shaky in the middle of this decade. Well, I still think he's very solid, and I still think he's very solid. I still think he is a really good goalie. I don't think it was necessarily like the best goalie of the decade. I feel like he's. But definitely up, up there. With the Golden Knights, because with the Golden mm -hmm. Knights, I think he looks better than he did when he was in Pittsburgh. Yeah. He, needed was, to, he needed to change the scenery. The, well, the big thing, um, and I, I don't want to dwell on this too, too long, but mm -hmm. like I know that Fleury had his two roughest years in 2012-2013, uh, back-to-back. Very terrible years for him. Even 14 wasn't great. But there was a problem with the Golden and coach that didn't work very well, and the second they got Mike Bales... Everything changed. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why that kind of happened. But I could see your points. Um, I do think we had some interesting picks. I think mm -hmm. that was a lot harder than it should have been. Yeah. But, um, we'll go to Parker. Uh, so we also have four substitutes as well. And then we'll get to the coaches. But uh, you have four subs, so make a pretty four. good argument for them. All right. So my four subs in, in this order are Duncan Keith, Genny Malkin, Pecorine, and Ansko Batar. Duncan Keith... Chris and Nick already spoke about enough, but he was like a hair's breadth away from being on the top team. Evgeny Malkin, obviously one of the premier offensive forces in the NHL, has been very good uh, for more or less the entire decade. He has had huge stretches of being incredible, but the thing is he's also had a little bit of stretches of being injured. But when he has played, he's been one of the best players in the NHL. I know he did make the NHL like top 100 list for players, and he's not even the best player on his team. Like this is a guy who could be a franchise starter uh, anywhere else. Uh, Pekka Rene, I think, is sort of a very, uh, very consistent goaltender for the decade. He's had uh, years where it's like one year would be really, really good, and then the next year would be just good, but he hasn't really had a bad year, and he's. Always been pretty good. And then 
Ansh Kovatar, I sort of uh, put him in because I just I have a weakness for two-way forwards. They're able to play really good offensively and defensively, and I feel like that's something that they could <laughs> offer more than players who just specialize in, say, sniping or just playing shutdown defense. And I feel like him being able to offer everything uh, really helps with his uh, career longevity and helps setting him apart from his peers. Okay. Uh, those are all pretty good points, too. I, I have a feeling that we're going to see a couple similar trends going through here, but we'll go with you, mm-hmm. Nick. Obviously, we already talked about my goalie backup being Bobrovsky. I had Drew Doughty as my defensive backup. Like I said earlier, uh, I didn't necessarily ban a player if they didn't play the full decade. So one of my forward backups is Connor McDavid. He's already, in just the four seasons that he's played, he's accumulated so much hardware, and he has been consistent in producing extreme numbers. So I definitely think, like, he's going to be someone that I think is, like, a definite bridge. Like, he's going to, at at the very least, bridge this decade and the next decade, probably last a bit longer into the decade after as well. But I definitely think what McDavid has done so far merits at least a mention in this decade, especially after he got the monster contract that he did. Um, It's definitely setting a new tone for the NHL, and there's a reason he got that monster contract. Uh, The other one, obviously, like, a little bit of favoritism here, but I do think he's very underrated, and it's Claude Giroux. He's been able to prove that he can play not just center, but at wing various times. And I can't remember that because they flash this stat a lot. I can't remember if it's his draft class or if it's based on when they entered the NHL, but he's one of like the top four scorers or point getters from, a, I believe it's a specific draft class. I definitely think that's very, very prolific, and that's something that also merits it. And as far as being a player for a team, he's definitely, I think, been the face of the Flyers, like, I feel like when the Flyers are coming to face another team, like, regardless of whether or not it's intimidating, like, they know of Claudio. And Claudio is the one that they're looking out for and someone that they need to shut down because he is as good as he is. He's someone that you really just expect to be at a spot on the ice, pass to it blind, and he's going to get it and he's going to score. Those are all some really good points, too. Mm-hmm. For my list, I, I picked some really out there ones that won't surprise anybody who normally listens. But <laughs> my list, I started with an easy one, Connor McDavid. I won't get mm-hmm. back into it too much, but obviously, Connor McDavid is the past, present, and future. So then it kind of took a spiral. Austin Matthews makes my list because he's been in the league for four years, and I feel like he is, if not n- the number two goal <laughs> scorer behind Ovechkin, the number three guy because he's just that good. At, putting the puck in the net, as well as everything else he does. Alexander Barkov, I don't think gets nearly enough credit, and he has, most people don't realize, he has 400 points in just over 400-some games, so, or close to it, rather. So he's almost a point-per-game player, and he's quietly done that. And my last guy, I, I, I debated between a couple players, but I feel like it would have been a crime to leave Jerome McGinley off this list. And Jerome McGinley, although, like, we went back to it flurry, he was more of a product of the last decade he was still putting up 80 points in 2013, 60 points the next two seasons, and he didn't retire until last season. So Jerome McGinley, to me, less so the points, more so everything else he did. I mean, this is a guy who did so much good work off the ice, was one of the best captains of all time in one of the, in one of the articles. 
I think he's just he deserves to be on that list somewhere. So that's why he's there for me. Yeah. I mean, hockey is more than just a points game. One of the conversations that I have with my dad recently, one of the best things, like, you know your defense is playing good when nothing's happening. And you know your offense is playing good when a lot of things are happening. So it's not just having points and putting numbers up. That's all about hockey. I think you're right, like with drumming, like it's someone that even though he might not have put points up every season of this decade, his presence was undeniable. I, think, I definitely would agree that it, that type of player does deserve some merits. Right. I mean, we were kind of on the same sort of track. Like you picked mm-hmm. Giroux, and uh, yeah. Giroux's a good one. He's not. He wasn't always a mm-hmm. stud offensive player, but he was always, almost always a, if not a sulky nominee, close to it. And mm-hmm. he, he did a lot of things well yeah. off the ice too. I'm surprised you picked Barkov over uh, a player like Bergeron. Bergeron actually got X'd out of my list, which is very mm-hmm. difficult. The next <coughs> thing we're going to do is coach and GM. Now, of course, GM is very meritocratous. It's really up to how you want to go with that. So Parker will let you give your coach and GM. All right, so my coach is Joel Quenville. I believe he's now, like, what, second in coaching wins or something like that? Yeah. Like he's somewhere really high. And, mm-hmm. look, that Blackhawks team was just absolutely incredible despite the fact that they were all like upwards of 30 and he was able to get that much out of that entire team and he's always been a very good coach uh, and then for GM I would go with this one was kind of a hard one because I was still trying to stick with a GM throughout the whole decade but I would go with Steve Eiserman uh, just because I try really hard not picking any homer picks but it's just he did so many things well that other GMs don't do well he drafted well. He had a very good farm system developed. And I think the most important thing that he did was with the star players of the Lightning, signing them for contracts that are way below market value than what they will have gotten in free agency. And I think that's something key that a lot of GMs struggle with, such as uh, uh, like Stan Bowman with the Blackhawks. There, there's two things I'll say for that, because I did put – I put there's a minute my GM as well. But I will say, I definitely think he managed the salary cap very well, but I will remind you that he does have one thing going for them, and that's that his team was in Florida. Because there is a level in terms of the way the tax system works in Florida that you can take take like a cheaper contract on paper, but in actuality, you're making just as much money as you would if you took a bigger contract in another state like New York or Pennsylvania or California. So I think he had like, he had a little bit working towards his favor when it came to Sally Cup, but regardless of that advantage, he still managed it extremely well in a way that a lot of other GMs have failed at. I definitely think like he does he is still the GM of the decade. I did disagree with you on coach. I went with Barry Trotz. That's fair. Because the cap Right, so not only because of how dominant the Capitals were this year, they've won several President's Trophies, a couple of them packed back, won a Stanley Cup, and then he went to the New York Islanders after they lost John Tavares. So the Islanders expected not to do anything. Now he doesn't really have, he doesn't have a superstar of a decade like Ovechkin, and he's still able to get them up to second in the division. Seven right? wins straight. Mm-hmm. And you look their placement both last season and this season. The only team better than them is the Capitals. You could attribute that to the fact that they probably have Ovechkin, and there's still enough of a remnant of Trotz's system 
that they are aware with that worked well that has allowed them to maintain that. The moment that I think, as long as Barry Trice continues to coach with the Islanders, the moment the Islanders get a big superstar, look for them to overtake the Capitals and become like the top team in the Met. Because he's, he's just proven that he's just that good, that dominant. Like He's a coach and his teams are always one that the Met feared facing. He was, he was the guy to beat. So, Barry Trotz is without a doubt, mm-hmm. at least right now, probably the best coach. But he's 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 got a great record behind it too. I disagreed with both of you on both <laughs> picks. Again, mm. shocking. My GM is a little less controversial. I picked Stan Bowman because it, it it was a pretty easy pick, honestly. The Blackhawks dynasty, even though it sort of ended in 2015, 2016, they were still a good team up until about a year and mm-hmm. a half ago. And you look at the way he drafted. He was never afraid, even this past season, to pick the small guy. They just drafted the Brinkat recently. They just got another small guy. Can't remember his Kirby name. Kirby Doc. Not Kirby Doc, but Kirby Doc's a great pick too. And the thing about them is, they the players under him always seem to make an impact right away. My coach is a little bit more controversial, and that is because I picked Gerard Gallant, and I'll tell you why. A lot of people will say it's recency bias, and yes, Vegas is a great team right now, and. The difference is Florida, when he was there, was a good team too. They weren't always the playoff team for the first couple of years of his tenure, but they were towards the end, or should have been, if they had goaltending, which head coach doesn't really control a whole lot. And people just didn't watch Florida. Like, the attendance was the reason they didn't get any real show on the television. They only had, like, I want to see 10 marquee games a year compared to the Blackhawks, who had 44 games a year on national television. That's why I think he goes under the radar. Of course, like I said, it's a controversial pick, and the other two coaches are absolutely deserving. That's just my reasoning. I, I think it's a pick that does have a lot of merit, though. Mm-hmm. I feel like he didn't get his due when he was in Florida. I, I agree. It does have merit. Um, and you say recency bias. Like In my personal opinion, I think recency bias would work against him because especially like where Vegas is at currently this season, um, last season they were okay, but they definitely did not have that same magic as their first season. And there was... Not just a lot of magic, but a lot of outside motivation with the city that just Vegas did have the shooting. And that, like, right before the season started, so the first big thing Vegas had as a city after that shooting to come together was the, strong, opening yeah. scene, was the opening game of the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah. So the city kind of rallied around them. You, to have that energy in the first season in somewhere where your team was really kind of just expected to fail with players that... A bunch of teams said, we didn't want you with a coach that, like you said, did, really did get underage and kind of get underwritten. They all had something to prove that season. I definitely think that they proved it, but I definitely think like now you're starting to see their true colors. I don't think Gallant is as great a coach as the rest of them, but I definitely think he's a good coach. Mm-hmm. Okay, the, those are some, I think we had a pretty good little team there. Mm-hmm. So we're going to move on now, as we said at the top of the show, to contract talk. And this is actually something I think Nick suggested. Mm-hmm. So there are tons of GMs who are dumb, and they give out bad <laughs> contracts. And then you have GMs, like the ones we discussed, that aren't dumb. So, Parker, again, we're going to start with you. Why don't you give us your best and worst contracts? And if you have them, try to give us a term and length. All right, so for best contract. This one I thought of almost immediately. The best is easily Nate McKinnon. Seven-year deal, $6.8 million annually. And this is a guy who right now is approaching like 100 points a season and who was like a hair's breadth away from winning the heart were it not for uh, 
Mr. Uh, Taylor Hall uh, putting the New Jersey Devils on his back. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that contract's <laughs> it, it's incredible because it takes up most of his prime. He's going to be like, what, 28, 29 when that deal ends? Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's incredible value. Uh, even before that, he was only making below five. Yeah. So they locked him up pretty good. As for worst, I don't know, this was something I struggled with because there's been a lot of bad ones. But I think the safest one for me to pick, and I'm really juggling between three, but I think the easiest one for me would have to be the Milan Lucic contract, five years, uh, six million. This was a contract where, even though he was, I believe he was like the most coveted or like the second most coveted free agent back then, it was still blasted as being an egregious overpay for a player who was primarily known for his physical ability. And the main reason why he put up points was because he was on a line with Bergeron and Marchand. So, and and now look that they have Pasternak now and they're way better. So, that's kind of what I have to go with. Now he's, w- with the Flames, making like, what, two million? So I... I think it says something to where if you get signed to a huge contract, then you don't even go through the whole contract, and then you get signed for a much cheaper one. That's how you know that that contract was bad. Before we get too far from your point, um, he's still on that same deal. He's still on the uh, seven-year, $6 million deal. You're, you're kidding, right? Just because he went to the Flames, he didn't sign there. He got traded there. Mm-hmm. That's why they traded away Neil. Yeah. Oh, I thought he just got I just got they might have re- I think Edmonton retained some I'll, salary on him. F- 15%. Yeah. So do the math, like, mm-hmm. whatever that is. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to disagree with you on best contract because that Nathan McKinnon contract started in 2016. So it only covers the last four seasons of this decade. I'm going to go with a contract that was all in this decade and that I think was a major steal. And that's the Wayne Simmons contract from Flyers in 2012, six years, four million, in which he put up some of four million a year, four million a year. Wait, where what? he, yeah. Wayne Simmons is only getting paid $4 million a year for this decade. And he put up several 30-goal seasons, made the All-Star team at least once where he won the MVP and the truck that came with it. Um, <laughs> I think he donated the truck, too. Yeah, I think Good so. guy points. Yeah, he, he's one of the nicest guys. Was the, was, if it wasn't Claude Drew, it was Wayne Simmons that was the face of the Philadelphia franchise. I, I, without a doubt, I think that that's the steal of this decade. The Flyers are also the owner of the worst contract of the decade because I'm about to make you all realize that, oh, yeah, there was worse one signed. And that was their nine-year contract that they offered to Ilya Brzgalov. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Which they bought out. And technically, he's still under contract until sometime in the 2020s. So for all intents and purposes, Ilya Brzgalov's contract could still also be the worst contract of the next decade, if you really want to argue it. Um, Because it it was signed in 2011. Um, Technically, this year, to put in perspective, if they had kept that contract, Ilya Brzgalov would be playing in his last season this season. That that was that contract. Now, he wasn't getting paid a lot per year. It was only a $41 million contract, like overall, over the whole time. But nine years for a goalie like that. And, and remember, <laughs> remember, this was the guy we ditched Sergei Bobrovsky for. So not only did we, did we send uh, arguably one of the big, best goalies of the decade away 
for this contract, we got saddled with a huge contract. We had to buy it out, which did impact our management of the cap, which was one of the biggest things that worked out. Like, definitely, I think without a doubt, the, the best and worst contracts of this decade belong to the Philadelphia Flyers, the best being Wayne Simmons, the worst being Ilya Briskolov. That's an incredible pick. I completely forgot about Those numbers that. actually hurt my head. Now, oddly enough, we've agreed a lot this episode. I'm going to mm-hmm. agree with you again. I had Wayne Simmons as well. Six mm-hmm. years, four million. That, that contract was stupid. He was, for a time, the best power forward in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Then he got usurped by Blake Wheeler, but, man, he is just mm-hmm. so, like, he was so dominant. Mm-hmm. And there was a saying I used to say, which was, I hate everything about the Flyers except Wayne Simmons because he, you just can't hate him. Mm-hmm. Like, he did everything right. The worst contract, actually, you jog my memory with the Bobrovsky one. That's not my pick. Mm-hmm. I'm going to break the rules a little bit here. Mm-hmm. My worst contract is Rick DiPietro, who signed the contract in 2006 for 15 years <laughs> at $4.5 million. Mm-hmm. He will still be getting paid until 2033, I mm-hmm. believe, and he will still be fully under contract until 2021. Yeah. And that's why I put him there, because he's the only 15-year contract, and he only played two years of it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can agree with that, because... It's the decade. Like, like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's part of this decade. Like, that's the fun thing with contracts, and especially because a lot of the... This decade is the last one where you could have had extremely long contracts like that, because it was this decade where they changed it to where I think the max is now... Eight years. Eight yep. years if you were playing for the team, and seven, seven if, if you're, you're just going to another team. So... To have contracts like that, yeah, this is the last time, and I definitely think those types of contracts do deserve merit, and I think like that that's another, yeah. Yeah, that's the... Uh, can the, you imagine some of the contracts will have been handed out today? Oh, my God, <laughs> if, dude. If that rule was not in place, I could just see the Edmonton mm-hmm. lawyers right now offering, yeah. like... Mm-hmm. 19 years yeah. to cover. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they offering him, like, 22. <laughs> and just another thing on the Wayne Simmons contract, just to remind you, like, he hasn't been doing that great this season. He got traded at the end of in the last season of that contract to Nashville, didn't do that great in Nashville. And even that last season, he was trending downwards. So that contract was not just a steal from the money, but perfectly timed too. Think about that to end. Yes. And, And it was just his prime. It was his last year of his contract. So A, he was a very valuable trade piece, something that you could have sent to Nashville. And I think they could have gotten a little more on that trade, but still, I feel like we got a good return for him. But, like, those are the two hardest things to do when you're a GM trying to offer a contract. Timing and pricing. And to get both of those exactly right with Wayne Simmons, I think, is something that, like, you never really saw before. I don't think you ever really see again in the salary cap era. Right, because we're going to go back to the original statement. GMs are dumb. Mm-hmm. And just another quick point, uh, two things. Sorry for A, blowing out your check mixer when I yelled that contract about DiPietro. I was just very <laughs> excited. And, man, the teams in New York that wear orange and blue have a problem with this because uh, Rick DiPietro and Bobby Manila's contracts will end back-to-back. Bobby Manila signed his contract in the 80s with the Mets. Yeah, so just, just a little counterpoint to that. So don't wear blue and orange. There's- there's a reason the second-rate New York teams are the second-rate New York teams. Yeah. They're not even the good mm-hmm. colors. And then, I guess, so we have a couple more things we want to talk about. The, what, what is the one change you guys would make to the NHL? Again, another thing brought up by Nick. So, Parker, again, lead us off. Uh, make three-on-three overtime hockey 10 minutes instead of five. Okay. It's incredibly fun to watch. We could see more of it. And that could help eliminate a lot of these shootout games. 
Okay. I, I definitely agree with getting rid of the shootout games. That's something that we definitely need to address. Fixing overtime would probably would have been my number three. I have my number one, and then I kind of put my number two on as well. But for me, the number one, I would like to see the point system, the way they award points change. Personally, I feel like it's very flawed. In games that do go to overtime, they're worth three points. A game that stays in regulation is worth just two. And in my opinion, it goes to award teams that go to overtime and shootouts more often than it does reward those who actually manage to do the best job and win it in regulation. So I'd like to see a system where you get three points for a win in regulation, zero points for a loss in regulation, and then two and one for winning and losing in overtime. I think that, A, from the NHL business perspective, now you're going to have your team scoring more points. You're going to have higher point seasons from that perspective, so it's a little bit better for marketing. Um, and it'll put more pressure on teams to play harder in those last minutes of the third when it's still tied. Because when you're in a position like you're fighting for playoffs in late March and you want to get there and it's tied in the last minute of the third, you're going to play it safe and try your best to take it to overtime to guarantee yourself that at least one point. Whereas now, in the new system, you could fight in the third and get two extra points or just stay where you're at for the one. I think it would a, change a lot of strategies and liven up the game like when you know it's in February and March and like that first week of April and that fighting thing the end of third periods in close tie games like that tend to get a little boring because teams stop fighting they want that they both want that extra point so I think you need to put something in regulation that makes regulation a little bit more enticing that's the, those are very fair points, and you can see we're all sort of on the same page. Mm-hmm. I'd like to put mine in the form of a poem. So, um, roses are red, uh, violets are blue. Get rid of the shootout. Get rid of the shootout! Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it's not hard. It's dumb. I like watching the shootout. It doesn't do anything. It's not hockey. There, I'm not going to defend the shootout, but I'm going to defend the reason why they need something like a shootout. It's for the commercials and stuff. It's so it's, you can it's, cut time. Well, not so much for the commercial, just for the runtime of the games in general. Right. Like, overtime can run... My, overtime tends to run a lot longer than a shootout. Unless you have either two goalies that are on or two goalies that are completely off. A shootout does not go long. Like, it's very rare to, to really have it go past the first three shots... More extremely rare to have it go past those first five. Every once in a while, you'll get the one that goes like 10 or 11 rounds. But very often, those those shootouts tend to end the game very quickly. I don't mind as much in regulation. And there's also the reason why when you get into playoffs, they go to the just a 20-minute five-on-five overtime period. So I think they do recognize that. I think that's more... I think the shootout is... Personally, because I can't really come up with a better alternative, the best logistical choice from a business perspective to keep the runtime of your games as close to what your broadcast time is as possible. Those are fair points, and Mm -hmm. there's all the things that have been argued before as well, and they do make sense. Mm -hmm. From a a business standpoint, I do see, and especially because you do have sponsors, you do have shows that come Mm -hmm. after hockey games, I understand you need to have a sort of a loose definitive ending Mm -hmm. of where you're going to stop. However... Mm -hmm. My point, and I think the point of a lot of people in, this, in the sport is, if you increase, like Parker said, the OT to 10 minutes, mm-hmm. how much longer is it going to go? Like, there's some people that say, hey, they're going to start playing defensive. I don't really think so, because you can't defend three on three. Once, once you're in 
uh, yes, you really can't defend in a three-on-three. Like, you either have to be active or you're just sitting there waiting for the other team to score. And I feel like once you get into OT, you really just kind of, like, you let loose because now you've secured that point and you're just kind of playing for that extra one. But in regards to the shootout and OT in general, one of the reasons why I think what I suggest is changing that point system instead of focusing on overtime first is now that you've created a bigger incentive to win in regulation, you're going to see a lot less games going to overtime in general because there's that bigger incentive to win in regulation. Uh, apparently, I think that was actually a thing that was talked about at the GM meetings was mm-hmm. the point increase. Uh, also, this is sort of a sidebar. They talked mm-hmm. about adding ties, which that is not the answer, but I can see the reasoning. It's just, um, I don't know if I want to see a tie. I'm, I'm not as against... I, I, I feel like both the tie and the shootout are equally bad. It depends, that is true. Yes. It depends on which one you want to see. I think a tie is actually a little bit more genuine. That is fair. It's, it's a little bit more genuine than going into overtime. It's recognized, instead of just like not changing the point systems at all and just saying regulation, you have three periods. You yeah. got to finish it in that three periods. If not, both teams proven they were equally either capable or incapable of winning the game, so they both get a point. Done. Leave it. I think that's just as fair of an assessment as going into overtime and trying to award that extra point. Right. The other, I will say, the other change that I believe should have been done is playoff seating. I, I think that's a universal thing, yeah. Mm-hmm. Every, uh, everybody hates the playoff seatings. I definitely think it's something that they, they, like, they could take a little bit of note of. I definitely think it's something that should be kind of just reseeded because it's also very, very annoying. Like sometimes, depending on the season, like this season, I wouldn't mind being a wild card that gets thrown into the Atlantic division versus a wild card that has to stick it out in the Met. Like, the Met teams are all stronger. The three top teams in the Met right now, the Caps, the Islanders, and the Flyers, are also three of the top five teams in the league. So, no offense, like, if the playoffs were to start tomorrow, I'd want to be that wild card that goes to the Atlantic, where it's actually at least the two teams in second and third are a lot worse. Granted, you would have to get through Boston, but I like that chance more but again that's also kind of like disingenuous and it also kind of devolves because there's not just rivalries within a division there's definitely rivals with rivalries between the two divisions across it obviously like the flyers we have rivalries with everyone but Mm -hmm. philadelphia hates boston just as much as we hate new york just as much as we hate pittsburgh like those types of rivalries exist across conferences and i think it'd be Definitely more interesting to see. Everybody complains about Toronto never being able to make it past the first round. Well, part of that reason is they face the Bruins every single time. And the Bruins are just a little bit better than them. But all of a sudden, if you were to reseed the playoffs and just do it the top eight in a conference, all of a sudden that could change how that playoffs is seeded. And you could see some of these teams that are surprise exits in the first or second round actually making it to the conference final. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, playoff reseeding is the thing they've been talking about since the division realignment with Detroit. They wanted to reseed things, but mm-hmm. I don't think under the current CBA they would get it, and I think in the next CBA it might be a tough sell, too. Mm-hmm. We'll see, though. Yeah, I, I despise the playoff seeding. A lot of it's really you see a lot of the same matchups every year. Like Tampa Bay played the Red Wings like three years in a row, something like that, and then like the Canadians, they play a lot, too. Right, and I mean, when was the last time you can remember – not counting the time they weren't in the playoffs, but when was the last time you, can't, you can remember the Leafs and Bruins not playing? Or the Penguins and Capitals? You know what I mean? I'm not saying. Uh, flip mm-hmm. conferences there, just there's saying. like one year where the first one was 
Leafs and Washington. The first round was like Washington and the Islanders. Yeah. But then the next round was Washington and Pittsburgh. Yeah. I feel like every mm-hmm. year, it's 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 you, those you same expect, matchups. You're waiting. You you're yeah. you're waiting like, for that. Exciting. Mm-hmm. You're waiting for that. Pittsburgh, Philadelphia. You're waiting for that. Washington, Pittsburgh. You're waiting for that. Boston, Toronto. Like, like I want to see a Washington, New York Rangers. I want to <laughs> see like a, and even that like you're a, like a Washington, <laughs> Tampa Bay. Yes. Or like a mm-hmm. Golden Knights and a Boston, Pittsburgh. That. Boston Knight Pittsburgh would be a good one. Uh, like Golden Knights and like, I don't know. The Predators? Yeah. That'd be an interesting Golden Knights one. and the Blues? Like, li- literally, li- you can name anything that's just cross conference. In my opinion, like, sometimes what you could do. It's like we always saw Kings and Sharks mm-hmm. every year. Give me Kings and Stars. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, maybe not Kings and Stars. Well, yeah, maybe not a good the example. Kings. Maybe the Sharks and the Stars, yeah. but maybe not the Sharks this year either. Maybe we just put the Kings away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like I'm like five years behind. Yeah, well, that's okay. This is the reason we're discussing the whole decade. So <laughs> correct. We have two more things we're gonna get to. The first one is gonna kind of lead into next show, but it's sort of a teaser. Who do you think is gonna be the future face of the NHL? Maybe not face, but who do you think is gonna be the next mm-hmm. best player? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Next best player is kind of hard. Yeah, obviously. But but who do we think like would be on our teams? Right. Who do you when think we were to do this again in ten years? Because ninety percent of these guys are going to be retired. Mm-hmm. So who do you think maybe slots in? So go ahead and pick one, Parker. Just you, you lead us off. So so for the two thousand twenties. Yeah. Yeah. From now until twenty thirty. Yep. I feel like the easy answer is Connor McDavid, but I'm going to go with a different answer. I'm mm-hmm. going to go with Alexis Lafreniere. Ooh. I figured there's something that Chris was going to say, and I didn't want to say it, but it's just, I don't know, I just get that feeling, like, you get with certain prospects where you know that they have that it factor, and you know that they're going to be incredible as soon as they hit the big leagues, and I think that's going to be Lafreniere. He's, I remember you were telling me, like, a couple years ago, back when he, when this kid was 16. When he got drafted to this QMJHL, yep. Like, Keep an eye out for this kid. He might be better than McDavid. <laughs> and I stand by that claim. And I don't ever watch QMJHL or OHL or WHL or any of that. But just for the hell of it, I decided to tune into a game to watch him play. And my God, he is one of the most talented players I've ever seen, and this kid's younger than me. Yep. It's stupid how uh, good he is. I, I'm going with him, and frankly, I don't think it's really close. Okay. All right, Nick, how about you? Mm-hmm. What you got? All right, so I'm not necessarily going for, like, what I right. would think would be, like, the best player. I definitely think, like, McDavid's kind of got that locked up. I was kind of tied between three. They are all home picks for me, but they're all three players that I think the league will be talking about and covering in terms of when the Flyers go to face somebody else, assuming that they're always with the Flyers this decade. The three I was kind of teetering between because slightly different positions and different styles. Carter Hart as a goalie. I think it's definitely going to be one of the big threats at that position in the next decade. And I had two forwards that I couldn't really decide between because they have a slightly different style of playing. Um, Morgan Frost and Travis Konechny. I think are really going to show up and be, well, maybe not necessarily like the next Ovechkin or the next Kane, are going to be bona fide threats and people that teams are going to be worried about and concerned with and planning around when they have to play them. 
Th- th- those are fair. Morgan Frost, especially, I think is going to be yeah, crazy that, good. That's a very good mm-hmm. one. Uh, if we're saying multiple names, I'd like to add Spencer Knight. Okay. Why don't you add one more just for fun? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, add another one. Austin Matthews. Okay. That, those are fair picks. Uh, mm-hmm. Because I feel like we're going to see an American ice hockey resurgence, especially considering the past uh, couple of drafts we've seen with like Jack Hughes and I believe Quinton Byfield. Canadian. He, he's Canadian. I believe Shoot. so, yes. Who's the... Who's who's the kid that was with uh, Hughes who got drafted by the Blue Jackets? Uh, the, the sniper. Couldn't tell you. But anyways, there are a lot of very talented uh, Americans on the U.S. developmental team that are coming up and have been getting drafted pretty high and are really solid prospects for their teams. I think they'll be solid and, prospects. And I think you know because a lot of the NHL is centered in the United States. I think we're going to be seeing, you know, because now that we're seeing more talented American players, uh, we're going to be seeing a lot more uh, focus on them. Real quick before I get my picks out there, mm-hmm. uh, the guy you're thinking of was Cole Caulfield, and he plays, Cole with, Caulfield. He plays with the Canadians. Mm-hmm. Yep. My three picks, again, sort of went the same way as you did. My actual pick was Elias Patterson because I think he's just insanely good. I, I think he's actually maybe one of the best snipers, like pure players. Also a good playmaker, too. In the league. He's, he's with um, Vancouver, yep. correct, yeah. Yep. Um, the other two guys I, I have off the top of my head, Alexis Lafreniere is going to be dumb. It's like absolutely stupid good. I, I can't believe how good he is. And my last guy, Cole Sillinger. I really like Cole Sillinger. He's coming up in the draft, too. He's not getting quite as much hype as some of the other prospects. He's not this year. He's next year. I think he's going to be really, 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 really good, too. And, uh, again, Canada and U.S. are sort of getting back on track after a couple of down years. Now they're starting to see players again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that definitely is, I think, like, two big things to consider. I definitely think America is going to have some produce some better hockey players, but I would say I'm going to say American players are going to be much more likely to disappoint. I think when we, like, when we, if we were to look back, like if we were to make like a couple picks now, and look back at the end of the decade, I guarantee we'll find more disappointments among the American players we pick than the Canadian players that we pick. And going on with that, the one itch I think for any player who's kind of not in the NHL now, but will be entering in the next like two or three years, like before, like by 2023, mm-hmm. they're going to have, I think, a hard time, even if they are crazy, super good, breaking out of the shadow of some of the amazing people still in the league. Because Ovechkin might be slowing down, but Crosby's not. McDavid's certainly not. Matthews, if he keeps up where he's at, he's not. Like, there's still later stars of this decade, like budding stars of the end of this decade that are going to be coming out and that are going to dominate that early era. And that could prove fatal to some of the guys who will be starting out at that point. Yeah, to go off of what he said, we didn't even touch upon uh, players like uh, Jack Eichel or mm-hmm. uh, Dylan Larkin, who could easily be in that discussion. Dylan and Larkin will be in the next show. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I will say this. The thing, to go to your point about sort of to get a little bit cursed because they're in the background, the thing about great players is they make their own shadow. Mm-hmm. And I don't think 
I definitely see where you're coming from, and that is a valid point for a lot of these players. I think just two of the guys we talked about, at least, at least one with Lafreniere, I think he's going to be the one that casts his own shadow. Of course, there are draft busts, but <laughs> I think even guys we don't know about yet, there's players coming mm-hmm. up in the next couple of years, five, six years. If they're good enough, they'll make their own. But I see what you're saying about falling victim to sort of little, little brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And another thing to point out is that there's also a lot of young stars that may have just started this decade that are going to get their chance, a bigger chance to break out as some of the older stars start to leave. Mm-hmm. Just to use the Flyers as an example, like Claudrius still has a couple years left. Voracek maybe a little less. Mm-hmm. Um, but like once the two of them go, yeah, you'll have like just their shadow, but their spots are open. And you're going to see players start to get a little bit more competitive, a little bit more drive. Like, who wants that spot? Who wants to replace it? And then whoever gets promoted there, who replaces them? And I think that's also where you're going to have that interesting thing. The not stars right now that very well could be if they were given the opportunity on a greater line. We saw that with Sean Couturier Mm -hmm. on the Flyers. Like, he was, a lot of people considered him a very bad investment. Then all of a sudden he's given the opportunity to, to get promoted to play on the first line. He's in this lucky conversation now. And, oh, absolutely. <laughs> and he's one of the best players on the team, and everybody loves him now. As some of these older players start to leave and these midway players get promoted to their spots, which of them are going to break out? That, like, that's definitely where you're going to get your early stars of the first half of next decade. That's fair. And I think a couple of the really young guys that are going to be coming up like right now in the next like two years are going to get overshadowed by that group of players. Well, the wait and see. The last thing we're going to talk about today before we close up the show is the... Well, of course it's hard to say in, in a Polaroid, hey, this is what this decade looks like. But I asked you guys to get one moment you thought really reflected the decade or one thing that you, you won't ever forget about the 2010s there's a lot to choose from and i definitely think like recency bias might take some things over but for me the most surprising moment of the decade was right at the beginning for me personally the bruins took a 3-0 lead in the playoffs against the flyers and the flyers managed to come back okay. and beat them not just 4-3 in the series but in game seven they were down 3-0 in the mm-hmm. game seven and they came back to win that game 4-3. Like, there was a lot of nice poetic irony or dramatic irony or whatever, especially looking back now, from that playoff series. That was also, like, the last time we made a run for the Cup. And we were there. <laughs> yeah. lost to Chicago, which was not fun. But what's really interesting, especially with where the Flyers are at right now, that's how we started the decade. And I'm very interested to see if that's how we might put a bookend on the decade as well, because we've had our ups and downs this decade, and I think like we're on the rise again. It'll be interesting to see if we can be that dark horse that manages just to sneak, sneak in, in there maybe do again, like just like we did in 2010, just for that kind of like mirror image. I think it'd be very interesting to see. Uh, well, I mean, definitely. Mm-hmm. I actually 
completely forgot that that happened. Anything bad that happens to the Bruins is okay by me. Mm-hmm. With a reason. Yeah, absolutely. Same. All right, Parker, what's your moment? All right, so mine <laughs> has to be the 2014-2015 uh, Stanley Cup final between the Chicago Blackhawks and the Tampa Bay Lightning. There was just a lot that happened throughout this whole uh, playoff that I find unforgettable. It was the first and so far only Game 7 that Henrik Lundqvist has lost. It had Tyler Johnson playing absolutely out of his mind for the Tampa Bay Lightning and at sort of like his uh, career peak. And then something that I will never forget was when the Blackhawks won in Game 6. And the first thing that happened after Jonathan Taves grabbed the Stanley Cup was he screamed for chemo. Oh, it was Kimo mm-hmm. Timonen, yeah. Kimo Timonen. He was the first person he gave the Stanley Cup. As much as we hated the Blackhawks, that was a really nice moment for Philly because he had been such a big part of our team, and we knew, like, he didn't get traded to the Blackhawks because we needed to get rid of him or anything. Like, if you ask Philadelphia, what was it? Like, we traded Kimo so he could go get his cup. Yeah, I and he got Kimo, his cup. He, he was like, he had, like, a health condition or something, mm-hmm. right, that he couldn't play as often as he used to because he used to be a, you know, a number one defenseman. Mm-hmm. And I just think that was incredibly poetic. Yeah, he and was amazing there. for a player like him who was a, a genuinely good guy mm-hmm. and a genuinely good hockey player. It was a good surprise moment and a good heartwarming moment. Because that's not something you see a lot. And mm-hmm. it's just, uh, it, it's a player who got his storybook ending. And it reminds you of why hockey, in my opinion, is one of the best sports out of the big four. I feel like this is a, the sport where you really see those kinds of stories play out. You don't really see it as much in football or basketball or baseball. Yeah, he was their annual old guy pickup when they were running for the Cups. They always mm-hmm. got some old random guy, and he was he just happened to be there that year. Mm-hmm. Definitely good points. That, that That's one that kind of came to mind for me, too. Anything with the Blackhawks, really. But mm-hmm. I was kind of tied between two of them. Austin Matthews, four-goal debut. Should not go into the radar. Just wanted to mention that. Mm-hmm. That was a pretty good one. But... Mine goes back to 2014. It was only a preliminary game in the Olympics, but TJ Sochi. We don't know if he's ever going to play in the Olympics again. If we even had the Olympics, he might be too old to be good by then. But, man, four goals on six shots. Just kept going out there and doing it. He, I mean, he beat Rush. It was like a modern-day miracle on ice. Mm-hmm. So that's why I say TJ Sochi. I, I don't I mean, know. I think equating that to miracle on ice is a little... I mean, a little bit better. Uh, uh, yeah, a, li- a little uh, misunderstanding, but it was definitely like something I agree. Olympics is, isn't even something I thought about. Yeah, it was USA and Russia. That's kind of mm-hmm. why I drew. Yeah, but um, the 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 gold the four gold mm-hmm. debut for Matthews also has to be stated. I agree. I'm very patriotic today, uh, and I think like obviously like re- I'm surprised it was really went for the reasons he bias, which is kind of nice. So we actually really do think about it. But obviously, the two big things to talk about in the past two years is. Vegas's first season, and then St. Louis. Yeah, honestly, last season. St. Louis. Somebody I was kind of going through mm-hmm. this list. A couple of buddies of mine before the show, and um, they they brought up St. Louis. I completely forgot the losing won the cup this past yeah. year. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, to come back from last place in the league in January, and win the cup like that that that's not something that is supposed to happen. And it's not something that, that should be able to happen. Uh, when Kenton Hitchcock was the head coach for the Blues, they were always a like a preseason. Uh, I want to say favorite, but they were always like one of those like top five or six mm-hmm. teams, like chances to win the cup. And then they uh, fell out of that window, and were especially an afterthought last season, then they mm-hmm. go out and finally win it. 
a very good moment for that city. Mm-hmm. Just a quick uh, note, I actually just got back from the great north up there, and I saw the Hockey Hall of Fame, and I saw the Blues exhibit. They actually had the, the, what they rallied around, which was the Layla Strong thing. Mm-hmm. That was all that was basically part of that exhibit was Layla Strong. So I think that was why the Blues mm-hmm. really rallied around, because they had, they had mm-hmm. something to play for. Yeah. Uh, and previous years, they really didn't. Kind of similarly to Vegas in their first year, and not to say that I think they were always playing for it, but something that happens at the beginning of the season, by the time you get to the end of the season, especially for hockey, it's not as present. Right. Versus Layla, who's present that whole season and right. literally there at the games. Like, it, I definitely think like her presence is something that really pushed the Blues. For sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the Hockey Hall of Fame is really nice. I got to go there. Yes. In the fall of 2018. Guess you're up, Parker. You're going to have to go mm-hmm. next. Yeah, I just need to get a passport. But that's basically our show yeah. for today. Like I said, at the top, we have two more decade, quote-unquote, themed uh, shows coming. A couple more topics to talk about next episode, including, like I teased, our next ten of the decade. So we'll be talking about who we think will be <laughs> future stars, everything else. And a couple other surprises, too. So thank you all for listening. And once again, don't forget to check out our new channel over at castbox.fm. And we'll see you next time. Yeah, and uh, I just want to give a thank you to Nick for hopping on the show. You're welcome. Yes, of course. uh, I'd like Mm -hmm. to also congratulate you on your very eventual receiving of your diploma in winter commencement. Knock on wood. Yeah, (laughs) glad to have you on. Mm -hmm. And you're always welcome. And before Parker knocks over anything else, like he just knocked over his headphones, we're going to close out the show. So thank you again, Nick. And we will see you next time. And like I said, if for some reason you don't hear us until the uh, start of next year when we have our regular programming, make sure all of you guys have a great holiday season. I'll close it out each time like that. So thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next time.